Hello and welcome back to Podcast Extra with myself, Jess Percival, and the wonderful Tim Cameron Kitchen. How are you today, Tim? I'm very well, thanks, Jess. Very well. The sun has been shining. The sun is not shining here. It's raining and I left washing out overnight, which is very tragic and very not related to marketing at all. Um, But anyway, we have quite a few interesting topics to talk about today. I have to say, news in the marketing world seems to have simmered down calmed down a bit now that ai isn't this like shiny new exciting toy like i think a lot of people are still interested in it but there isn't kind of breaking groundbreaking industry shaking news every single week which is quite nice in a way (laughs) don't have to constantly be thinking about um you know how we're going to change everything (laughs) and whatnot are you feeling that tim have you noticed the the difference yeah, definitely. We've gone past the, you know, it, there was a point where there'd be three announcements per week, which were potentially industry shifting. And now I think we're probably down to maybe like one or two. So, yeah, yes, it's, it's inevitable. Absolutely. But there is some really interesting stuff. Uh, I think now that the technology is out there, people are starting to play with it and implement it. We're going to be talking about Microsoft later. And I think we can read between the lines of what Um, some of their team have been talking about with the AI in the search results and we could begin to get some understanding of how people are actually using this and what the impacts on click-through rates and website traffic and all that stuff is. So I think we're entering this really exciting phase where we start to see the implications of some of this exciting tech for the first time. So yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, it is exciting indeed. But on the flip side of all this technical AI stuff, we actually have a very human topic to talk about today, which is very current, and that is pride marketing, specifically ethical pride marketing. For those who don't know, um, June is Pride Month to celebrate people in the LGBTQI plus um, community, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and plus everybody else as well um if you didn't already know and there's definitely been a lot of news this year relating to pride campaigns that have not particularly done the best or companies kind of backpedaling um so we're going to kind of talk through this today this is definitely more of my kind of remit than it is tim's just from a personal standpoint but i think tim you'll probably have some great insights just as somebody who's maybe been watching this from kind of a solely marketing perspective, I think, perhaps. Yeah, um, I mean, I think for me, pride is one of those areas where if if a company, I don't want to say does it right, because that sounds like this is just, uh, you know, what's the theme of this month? Oh, it's Black Friday. Oh, it's New Year, New Resolutions. Oh, it's pride. It, it, it can just feel like another one of the sort of topics that we want to piggyback on in a, in a month I, that doesn't seem to be a, a particularly effective or um, consistent way to do it i think when it's done well it can be really great but we've seen you know this year i think we've seen more backlash on inauthentic pride campaigns than we ever have before and i think a lot of this is about the polarization of you know particularly you know western culture Um, But this is also about, you know, brands really coming at this with the wrong type of energy and not making it an authentic thing, just making it a sort of layer, a sheen that they just put over their existing stuff. Hey, buy our stuff because we, you know, there's a rainbow on it. So buy more stuff, right? Um, So I'm really interested to hear from your perspective what some of the most effective pride campaigns have in common and 
the, the businesses behind those, like how they express their support for LGBTQ plus in the rest of the year and not just in Pride Month? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, the best businesses running authentic Pride campaigns are the ones who build it from the ground up. Right. You see yeah. it. You see their support all through the year, whether it's um, just lifting up LGBTQ employees or doing more than just running a campaign and then being done with it. So actually one of the businesses who is kind of in the news a lot at the moment is Target. And Target historically has been an absolutely fantastic supporter of, of the queer community. Like they've been amazing, you know, with their, okay, sometimes they release merch and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just ugly. <laughs> like that's the main criticism I've seen of, of Target um you know in my community in the past is just like that was ugly but uh, what they've done in recent years is they've worked with queer creators um and artists and then released merch or released clothing by these artists which i think is really really cool but what has happened this year unfortunately is people have been coming into the stores and threatening employees and then Target has made the decision to move pride displays back or take them out of the stores um because they want to protect staff. So you kind of have this situation, don't you, of, um, you know, you don't want staff to feel threatened, but also they've chosen to take a stand that they're not kind of keeping with. Um, I saw kind of, there was the whole thing with Bud Light as well, mm. um, collaborating with Dylan Mulvaney, who's a transgender influencer. And um, it was kind of the statement that the head of the business put out was like, oh, we didn't want to divide people. We didn't want to be divisive. And it was kind of like, but you you chose to back something that you know is a hot topic and you know is divisive. And now that it's affecting your bottom line, you're quite happy to kind of step back. And what's interesting as well is that, you know, they're saying lots of media outlets are saying, oh my God, they've lost so much, Bud Light's lost so much money out of this because their core audience hated this campaign. But I think actually their other audience who's queer also hated their reaction so they've kind of lost mm. both those audiences right um so i don't think it's just there's the more kind of conservative audience that they've lost i think it's also they've lost this trust um from mm. from the queer community so i think it's yeah it's it's very interesting to see when i think i know you said to share some of the more positive ones which i will definitely get onto in a moment but i think it's very important to kind of highlight where these brands have gone wrong and it's often not even the products like in the past it has been the products i think but now they are making informed decisions and talking to the right people but then when they get a bad reaction they're not handling it in the best way mm. that they can if you're going to protest a divisive cause then you've kind of got to expect a bit of back backlash it shouldn't be about profit and unfortunately i think that Bud Light just doubled down so much in the wrong direction that they've alienated everyone. <laughs> well, you know, this is scary for companies who are uh, maybe used to ma their marketing not really having a massive impact. I'm thinking of Bud Light, you know, they've never had anything which has been so divisive. So do we think that as time goes on or, or, in, or even, you know, in, in the current day, part of launching an authentic pride campaign is taking the risk that says, do you know what? 
there is a chance that this will blow up and go viral with an audience that completely disagrees. But we've examined our company's values and we think this is something that we stand for. And therefore, you know, we're in this, whether the outcome is overwhelmingly positive or overwhelmingly negative with certain audiences, we're doing this. Yeah, I think um, they do need to consider that risk. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do campaigns based on that risk, but maybe there's other ways that they could potentially measure it and also consider the benefits too. Um, if it's definitely built into the business, you know, if you have a lot of queer people working for you and it's something that you talk about internally, but then you won't run a pride campaign because you're worried about the backlash. It's a little bit, you know, it's it's not great. And like people in the LGBTQ plus community, we remember the brands that stick out. Like you remember the safe brands, like Absolute Vodka. I will nearly always buy absolute when I have the chance just because they've always been champions for the queer community so I'm like well I would rather buy from them even if it's not pride or even if it's not, if it's not got rainbows on it or whatever I would rather buy from them because mm. I'm like well I'd rather give you my money um but you were kind of talking earlier and this is something I really want to touch on about it's not just about like pride month and something that I noticed recently is I was looking for some examples of I think it was for an ethical marketing guide that we have coming out soon and I was trying to find a brand who's super ethical and who, who was also running a pride campaign and I went on to the Estrid website which is a brand we've talked about before and they have a super super diverse range of models like they're very much like their products are for anybody who shaves they're very like you know very inclusive and they're not doing anything for pride there's not a single rainbow on their website there's not anything they're not doing like a pride razor or anything, you know, and I think it's because they champion it all year round. Mm. So they don't really need to like consider that. They, they're kind of like, mm. well, why would we do it? Because we champion it all year round and we don't really want to look like we're cashing in. Um, for instance, my partner went to Cardiff Pride this weekend and saw um, Dogs Trust for there and they had a banner that said, a dog is for life not just for christmas and so is equality and it was yeah. just very like it felt really odd and weird and i think sometimes yeah sometimes it's better to just like show like if dogs just want to champion pride properly show same-sex couples in your ads you know make sure you're hiring it and championing it internally like for instance at exposure ninja we haven't done a pride campaign but we're super super inclusive at en like i feel very safe and comfortable to be like out at en and um you know have those conversations with people and so i think i'm kind of rambling now i'm going on a bunch of different topics but i think it's more about what you do internally and then how that kind of naturally finds its way into your marketing than trying to force something and this is like some of the things i i wrote about in a authentic pride guide last year mm -hmm. which is like the best way if you want to run a pride campaign or if you want to run any queer-led campaign talk to the lgbtq community to make sure that what you're doing is actually relevant work with those people as well and pay them for their time like essentially what target have done unfortunately they haven't followed the final step that i put in which is stay firm on your stance you know it should be always about people before the profits and I guess Target have fallen into this trap, right, of like, well, we are protecting people because our staff are in danger. Um, but, yeah, if you're if you're taking everything back 
and, and being like, oh, no, we didn't mean it, actually. We didn't want to be divisive like Bud Light have been doing. I think it just damages mm. your opinion, the opinion of you with everyone. Even yeah. the people that were maybe aren't queer and are just people who are like have queer family members or just kind of aren't bothered, they'll kind of be like, well, that was a weird thing to do. So, yeah, yeah. that's kind of my my 11 minute ramble on the topic. Yeah. I, I know, just before we move on to the next topic, I think that's a really, that's actually quite an important audience because there are people who we like to see that brands are standing for equality, even if we aren't necessarily in the communities that are being represented in these campaigns. That's just like important values, just like our friends tend to represent the values that we have and the brands that we buy from often tend to represent the values that we have. And just because, you know, I'm heterosexual, but I like to see brands supporting LGBTQ+, because that's just like a decent human value, right? And I think yeah. it says a lot about a company if as soon as there is any backlash, you know, I get that, you know, Anheuser-Busch or whoever owns Bud, they're going to be facing shareholder pressure, but there is something that is consistent about a company that says, right, okay, we're experiencing a lot of backlash here, but we're going to we're gonna hold firm. We believe in this. When push comes to yeah. shove, if you just rip all that stuff out and like cancel it all, <laughs> then then it makes the original action look like it was just a you know a marketing sheen and i think that's the thing that really turns people off isn't it yeah i completely agree like moving away from talking about pride month you know if i go on a website and like i'm white i'm very like translucent practically and if i go on a website and i see that they've got like diverse models i really prefer that brand like i if i see different body types if i see people on there with disabilities if i see people with different skin tones like i love that i'm way more likely to buy from a brand who does that and i think like it's every single time i go on a website like for a new brand and all their models are like white skinny women i'm like no, not buying from you. And I think it's those little things that maybe buyers don't even know that they make those subconscious decisions. Um, but it is it is really important. I'm not saying that everybody suddenly needs to go out there and do a pride campaign. But if it is something that you've been thinking about, um, then, yeah, like I said, it needs to come from from within. It shouldn't just be this little add on. It should be something that comes very organically. From, and for, yeah. for businesses listening, like Jess is a just represents the world like what we're saying here is that people aren't you know you're not just if you're selling to to white folk don't just have white folk on your website right this is this is the way that the world is people like to see diversity they like to see different groups represented so this is a this is a broader topic than just pride anyway just we could talk about this forever we could, absolutely um, what else has been happening this week well, yeah, some exciting news. We are going to go back to AI now, because of course we are. But I've definitely noticed a trend that seems to show that AI ad tools are here to stay. Um, in the last kind of week, TikTok has launched a new AI ad script generator and Microsoft has seen some good results from like conversational AI being used in ads. I haven't actually seen any examples of this and the way that they wrote it was way above my brain. Yeah, very, very vague indeed. But it seems to be that these things have been accepted really well and that they're returning good results for people. Um, it's pretty exciting. I don't know if you've had a look at any of these tools, Tim, if you've had a chance to play with them or if you've just read up about them. I have. I've 
I've played with a TikTok ad script generator. So the the ad script generator is a, you know, you type in, what do you type in? You choose your industry, you choose your product name, you give it as much product description as you want, up to a thousand characters, and it will write you a script for a TikTok. And on the left-hand side is the words, and on the right-hand side is the sort of visual cues, you know, what's actually happening in the ad. Um, so they're very excited to announce this, and of course, the implications for marketers is potentially that your TikTok ads are written for you. And for a lot of businesses that maybe haven't experimented with TikTok, I think their hope probably is that this lowers the barrier to entry a bit because TikTok is such a a creative-led ad platform. You can't win on TikTok with bad creative. You know, on, on Google search ads, you're going to get some people clicking on your ad if you just include the target keywords and you just write a very generic bit of ad copy, whereas on TikTok, you're getting scrolled unless you have really good ad creative, you are getting scrolled. So I think this is potentially something that's designed for maybe those who are new to advertising on TikTok to sort of ease them in a bit um, with an intro. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have to say my experimentation with it so far, I am not impressed at all. I think you can actually get better TikTok ad scripts from ChatGPT. Wow, okay. Very I, I, don't, I don't know what they've trained it on. I would have hoped that they'd have trained it on, you know, really top performing ad creative. But one of the things that's missing for me about this is all of the ads it produces feel very generic. Mm-hmm. We are missing some of the things that we know are really important for TikTok creative to win, either paid or organic, such as like a visual hook at the start. There's, there's nothing of that. There's no sort of interest whatsoever. I'm just getting very generic you know, I tested it with a whole bunch of fictional products. And if you're selling like moisturizer and it's like, Hey, you should get some moisturizer, you know, and then it just sort of reads the, reads the the benefits, the USPs that you've plugged into it. It's really not like, I can see this producing what we've, what we've said about a lot of um, AI stuff previously is I can see this producing dead middle of the bell curve, bang average ad, which if you're, if your alternative is producing something dreadful, well, this is going to get you to a five out of 10. So happy days. If you're used to producing eight out of 10, or you need eight out of 10 plus in order for the metrics for, for the numbers to work on TikTok advertising, I can't see any serious advertisers using this at all, if I'm honest, because you give it you give the, the assignment to a half decent TikTok creator, they're going to come up with something a league above this. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And also, it's important to note that if the AI can produce a five out of 10, eventually that five out of 10 is going to become the one out of 10. It's going to be the standard because everybody can do it. And so you're going to have to find other ways to do things. If you are looking at advertising on TikTok or pretty much, I would say, any social media platform, it's all about creating things that look like they were created by anyone because else you do get that instant scroll away, right? Um, like for instance, I recently went through the entire funnel, the entire sales funnel on TikTok, but in a very interesting way. So I was getting a lot of influencer ads for this bodysuit, kind of like the Kim Kardashian skims bodysuit, but it was like 12 quid on TikTok shoppers. These things tend to be. And I was getting like video after video. And I mean, one after the other of just girls trying on this bodysuit, being impressed with it, you know, with hashtag ad in their description, but the results they were getting were amazing. And I was just like, eh, whatever, I don't really, I'm not really fussed about it. I don't know why the algorithm had decided to show me a million until a couple of days ago, I was like, 
really want a bodysuit. And this was like, I'd seen these videos like two or three months ago. I remembered the brand name. Actually, I went on TikTok and typed in tick in the search TikTok bodysuit, TikTok viral bodysuit came up immediately and I bought it. So it's like, they've obviously spent a lot of money to advertise this with influencers, but because those videos were so organic, I wasn't seeing that tiny little hashtag ad. And I think with the, you know, us using, us starting to get to grips with things like Google Perspectives, which is going to be very user-generated content, you know, that's what I'm expecting to see on there. So yeah, the AI is basically throwing out a bunch of very generic ads rather than organic looks like the other content scripts. That's quite worrying to me. Um, Even though, you know, the tool has apparently received praise for its understanding of the importance of creativity and advertising, it seems like actually in personal use, as Tim was saying, it seems like it's a bit naff. Really? Yes. Yes, that's the concern, is that, yeah, it's totally average. Um, You mentioned also Microsoft. They've, I think someone's given a keynote, haven't they, at SMX Advance or something? where uh, yeah, Microsoft's Kia Sainsbury-Carter explains why conversational AI is going to radically change search marketing for the yes. better. So what are they doing here? And what are the sort of takeaways that you've seen from uh, from this keynote, Jess? Yeah, well, it seems the, the main thing is that the way they phrased it is a bit weird. It kind of makes it feel like when they're saying conversational ads, I was like, I don't really know where they're going with that. But what it seems to be is when you're using the conf- conversational tools, that's when you'll get these kind of ads. So I think an example that they used was something to do with, I want to go to a wedding in this state in this seat this month. And um, I think Tim's written it in here, actually. Oh, no, you just said it was it was Chicago. Um, yeah. It was like, instead of just showing me wedding dresses, or not wedding dresses, but like event dresses in Chicago, it would make suggestions being like, well, Chicago in July is this kind of temperature. So here's some dresses that would fit as a guest at that wedding so i think that's like a super important element really yeah it sounds like they're quite big on sorry jess it yeah it sounds like they're 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 hoping that the, the conversational ai piece will make the ad more relevant more targeted so you get a much better click through rate and Yes. Um, I think there was some data about uh, ch- uh, chat GPT or, or Microsoft Bing chat um, inputs. So the search queries being something like three times as long, I think, than a regular search query. So searches are actually sense. giving, yeah, they get, they're giving more context, aren't they? So it means that the the search engine has more to work with to give um, better, more relevant results, which which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, I thought thought there was quite a lot in here, sort of reading between the lines about how people are actually using it, because we don't really have any data. Us marketers don't really have any data about what's happening inside Google's search generative experience, what's happening inside Bing Chat, and how we're going to have to adapt as marketers. A lot of at the moment is we're just sort of we're, we're trying to guess um what's going to be happening and what's going to happen to things like click-through rates so it was interesting to see uh this microsoft employee start to hint at some of the things so they mentioned that um click-through rates are higher of both ads 
and the search results, which I presume are the citations, the little links that yes, are linked into the be. generative results. I mean, if that's the case, if click-through rates are higher than for regular search, that's massive because that is one of the concerns that publishers and businesses have about generative AI search results is all the traffic is going to stay inside the search engine. And here they okay. seem to be saying, actually, we're going to be sending more traffic potentially um, to, to websites, which it feels, I, I'm not quite sure I believe it, but that's what they're saying, <laughs> improved click-through rate of ads and um, and uh, and search results, which, yeah, I, I can't wait to see the data around this. Yeah, no, it is exciting. It's just going to be nice to be able to get like get to grips with everything and sort of start seeing results and testing things out on a wider scale rather than just being like previews or betas or any of yeah. this like it's it's super interesting very very exciting one one other thing sorry just before we move on um, on the click-through rate thing they also mentioned uh, making some of these citations or the reference links let me just back up a sec. So when you search on Bing chat, you get the generative text AI answer, which is like a chat GPT type answer. And then it's got the little numbers which reference uh, each of the statements in that answer. And they were talking about making some of those references paid ad placements. Now, one of the criticisms of Bing chat and you know chat GPT, even if it's citing its sources, is that no one's ever gonna click on the links. No one's ever gonna click on those things. If they're talking about making those ads PPC, that means people are definitely clicking on them. Otherwise, that ad revenue source is non-existent. Yeah. So I think that's another little reading between the lines from the announcement here that actually those citations, those reference websites, they are about to become the new battleground in AI-enabled search. Of course, Bing Chat and Google's version, they work slightly differently with how they reference and, and how the links come through. So it could be a completely different game on Google. But so far, this, is, I think, is really encouraging for marketers. Absolutely. Yes. We've got a few minutes left. We've got a couple of topics, Tim, and I can see you've got your cursor next to one of them. So I don't know if that's the one you wanted to prioritize or if you wanted to talk about both. Um, yeah, let's talk about this one. So cool. there was a, there was a thing on Twitter today, uh, this week, sorry, that seemed to come out of nowhere. So Google search liaison, um, Danny Sullivan, uh, all of a sudden just tweeted, it seemed to be out of nowhere. If you create content, a reminder, create your content for people, not robots for success with Google search. That's long been our advice. For a refresher, see our guidance about creating helpful, reliable, people-first content. And then they've linked to the guideline on Google. So this is an official, Google search liaison is how Google talks to marketers, how it talks to SEOs, basically. So there was lots of questioning in the SEO industry of like, wait, what? Why are they posting this? This is like standard Google advice. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it does seem to be a little weird. They've kind of followed up and clarified. There was a recent Google, uh, there was a recent article, I can't remember on the site, suggesting that people have to write for robots rather than people to be suggest uh, to be I successful see. on Google. So they've tried to sort of counter. But the thing I thought about this is, all right, it's all very well saying create content for people, not robots. But as a lot of SEOs have said in the follow-ups to this tweet, that advice is total garbage 
you have you have to create for both, right? We are basically yeah. as SEOs, we are trying to manipulate Google into showing our results to visitors. And the way to do that still is to optimize for search engines without too much compromising on the user experience. Yes. That is basically the the order that we are working in. And any yeah. decent SEO works in that order, right? For search engines first, and then figure out how to make that as good as possible for humans. And it just got me wondering, oh, is that ever not going to be the case? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think part of me feels like it's going to become even more important with this search generate generative experience, right? Because I think we're going to be studying even harder what little things that the Google spiders are picking up on in our content that makes it then turn up in this experience right whether it's you know creating lists of the top 10 such and such like for to answer when people ask what's the best air fryer for instance you know all these kind of things like i think we are still going to be taking a look at the search results seeing who those three little pages that are corroborating the information are and then we're going to be coming back to our content and seeing how we can copy that and which elements have been obviously have made the spiders go, yep, let's put that there, you know? And I think it's just so, like, it it is a combination of the two. And yes, if you hit all the SEO things, like you've got keyword density right, and you've got some, I don't know what that schema, totally forgot the word for it. There was every single acronym that began with an S was in my brain, and I was like, I cannot find it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so you can add all that and do all that technical stuff. If the content's garbage, you're not going to get anywhere. But at the same time, you can write the most amazing content ever that could help the most people. If you haven't got your keywords in there, it's never going to appear. So yeah, there is definitely, you definitely have to find a balance. And yes, you are still a little bit writing for robots, but your content still needs to be useful. It really, yeah, it's, it's it does. isn't it? It's, it seems like a bit of a daft thing. Not necessarily a daft thing to say, but I wonder if it's more about damage control than it is about education, maybe. Yeah, for me, the only platform in the world that is designed people first is TikTok. Mm -hmm. Because on TikTok, you can have a post go massively viral and you look at it and think that has not been, that's winning because it's good, because it's pure engagement. There's no, there might be a visibility algorithm in there that's trying to work out, you know, is there a cat in there? So great, we're going to push cat videos to cat people. But fundamentally, it's the user user insight which is deciding where to rank that. Whereas with the Google search algorithm, that's only one component, right? Click-through rate is only one component. You've got all this mm-hmm. relevance piece up front, which is pure machine. This is pure algorithm. Yeah. You have to optimize for the relevance, which is a search engine rule book, before you can optimize for people. So I, I think the summary of this is like, You've always got to look at everything that Google publishes with a bit of healthy skepticism. If you follow Google's guidelines to the letter, that doesn't mean that you're going to have a well-ranking, high-quality website at all. It just means you're going to have a very good website, but you know the ranking and the traffic, there's an absolutely no guarantee that, that you will get that at all. Um, yes. So yeah, periodic yeah. reminder. Completely. Oh, we've got another great topic to talk about, Jess, which you found, but we don't technically have time. Can we... Yeah, I think we can squeeze it in. It's really important. So if you were going to click away and if you're going to stop listening to the podcast, listen to this last week. So I think it's super, super important. So 
iOS 17, which is Apple's operating system, which some people, I think, with the newer iPhones have already got, um, or it's in beta, I'm not entirely sure. I've got an M11 Pro, so I'm a scrub, according to Apple, and I <laughs> have iOS 17. But you yeah, deserve privacy. I know, right? Exactly. But iOS 17 will automatically remove link trackers when opened in Safari app on iPhone. It's private mode automatically, but it can be enabled by the user for all browsing. It also makes me wonder if in the future it will be automatically enabled for everyone from the start. Um, And I think there's definitely an opportunity. Well, I think that it's definitely putting the pressure on to start thinking about preparing for a cookie-less future. Like I know Google keeps saying they're getting rid of cookies and et cetera, et cetera, and then kind of just keep forgetting about it, don't they? And <laughs> back and changing it and whatever. Um, but it could be potentially very devastating for businesses that rely on tracking IDs. And I mean, as soon as I saw this, I was like, am I on iOS 17? And I went to my settings to turn it off, <laughs> you know, and it, I didn't have that option. But I think a lot of people will be like, oh, you can do that. Cool. I'm going to switch that off as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Tim, what are your thoughts? So my immediate reaction with anything like this is to go and have a look and see on Reddit what the general masses are saying about this. And <laughs> the general masses seem to think that there's a, there's a big contingent of people, probably skew slightly more towards this on Reddit, but that all advertising is evil. And any tool that enables advertisers to make money is is also therefore evil. And that this is... A great thing. Advertisers shouldn't have the ability to track us anywhere. We should live in sort of privacy bubbles. Um, there are, of course, some people that have a bit more of a, say, commercial awareness who would say, all right, the reason that, you know, Apple is allowed to do this is because Apple has their their profitability is in the device. They charge a lot for the devices. Um, devices like M11 probably wouldn't exist. The operating system certainly wouldn't exist were it not for advertisers being able to monetize the users using this platform and using things like link trackers to work out what ads are working so that they can pump more money into Google so that Google can afford to build out Android. So I think there's a question here about, of course, Apple has often taken the benevolent dictator stance where it's happy to remove privacy um, or to enhance privacy if it can somehow take that data for itself. So iOS 14, for example, absolute carnage for Facebook. (laughs) Apple's very happy to do that because more money flowing into Apple ads. This feels like another one of those where the link tracking is going to be removed. But conveniently, Apple has a way to get around this with a a new solution called private click measurement. So if you're using Apple's ad things, then you can still get around it. So there's a bit of sort of skepticism there. Um, But this is potentially devastating for all types of businesses. There are suggestions of workarounds. You could use like customized URLs and stuff like this. But a lot of affiliate marketers saying, well, okay, those tracking IDs, that is my business model. Yeah, I can't produce content. I can't pump the internet full of massive amounts of really good quality review content, for example, if I'm not getting those referral clicks and that referral revenue. That is my business model. So is another one of those situations where the internet that we have all grown up with and the sort of unsung trade-offs, the, the, the sort of unstated trade-offs that we're all making on a daily basis, 
we can never take them for granted because someone like Apple can say, yeah, do you know what? We're just going to kill all tracking on URLs and deal with it type thing. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know whether it's going to be iOS 14 level carnage. I'm not sure. Um, I'm expecting that someone will make a workaround. It looks like Google are already playing with some workarounds and some suggestions, but it's another bold move for sure. Indeed. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how things progress and whether we're going to end up, it's almost like how, you know, you used to be able to watch everything on TV and now you have to have a subscription to all these different places. <laughs> you have to have Netflix for one, Apple for another. You know, will it be the same with Google? They're going to be like, well, we have our private click measurement. Apple's like, we have our private click measurement. If you subscribe to our services, then, you know, so yeah, it's um, very interesting. I, I don't think cool. that's a bad analogy at all, Jess. This yeah. is, this is the, the ring fencing and the digging of deeper moats, isn't it, between all of these ad networks. I think that's a really, that's a decent analogy. And of course, there's an argument to say that, you know, in the olden days of cable, when you had access to all of the channels, but you had to pay a high monthly fee, and then Netflix comes along and all of a sudden it's a low monthly fee. Well, now people are looking at, you know, I've got Netflix, I've got Hulu, I've got Disney Plus, I've got Amazon Prime. I'm ending yeah. up spending way more. And, you know, half of these companies aren't even profitable. And the whole, the whole ecosystem has just sort of collapsed in on itself. So um, I don't know. Maybe there's some carnage down the road here too. Who knows? Perhaps so we'll see. We'll see how it when the bubble bursts potentially in a few years. But yes, that is all we've got time for today. We've gone over a little bit just as a little treat for you. Uh, <laughs> care about you very much. So I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you are watching it live on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe and if you are listening on a podcast platform of your choice please hit the follow button on there as well so we put out new podcasts at least once a week more often than not we're putting out two podcasts a week whether it's one like this or just him sharing his wealth of knowledge out there as well also well, if you haven't already head to explosioninja.com view to get your free website and marketing review anything else to add tim go forth Go forth. Go forth and market. <laughs> and track those clicks while you can. Yes, yeah. Make the most of it while it's here. And we will see you next week. And goodbye, everyone. See you. <laughs> <laughs>